Thanks for joining us for this inspirational teaching by Pastor Jeffrey Smith, Senior Pastor of City of Life Church. For more information on City of Life, visit www.col.tv. Let's join the service already in progress. Anyways, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20 says this. It's our text scripture. You can follow along on the screens there. I think they'll have it up there in just a moment. If it's not there, there we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, so basically saying, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. Now, if we were watching a modern-day movie, dramatic music would begin to play at this moment and the camera would zoom in on the disciples as Jesus said this, because it gets super dramatic. He asks this question. So he's asked, who does everyone else say I am? And he goes, but what about you? Who do you say I am? So look at someone next to you and say, hi. Because it'd be really freaky if you just started talking to someone that you had no idea who they were. So that's a positive thing, the hi is a good thing. Now look back at him again and say, who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? We're gonna kick off our brand new series. Now, real quick, the series is 10 weeks. It starts today. You're going, what in the world would the series be that long for? A, this is a year of foundations at our church. So the, the whole year we've been talking about things that are really fundamental to who we are as Christians and as believers. Uh, B, I wrote this book over a period of years after I became a senior pastor. This is a book that I wrote to try to communicate and present the principle of what the gospel means as a whole. I found our church uh, changing a lot on a regular basis. So many people would get saved in our church each week. 100 people get saved at this church or more. And, and so new people are coming. Some people go other places, whatever. It's changing around. A lot of people come in that don't know the principles of being a Christian. We encourage people every week to get a Bible when they pray that prayer. So the Bible is fundamental. It's the key. It's the, it's the way we live our lives. But my book was a way that I could hand somebody a book and say, this is kind of our, our thought on what, what it means to live the kind of life you're meant to live and to be a Christian, to find your purpose and your destiny and your meaning. So I wrote it over a period of time. We're gonna take a chapter of the book each week, focus on that chapter. And, and I'm, I'm praying that we grow together. No matter what your revelation is of Jesus, no matter how well you think you know him, whether you think you're an expert or not, I'll tell you, first of all, there are no experts in the presence of Jesus, only beginners. When we get in the true presence of God, none of us are experts. Our expertise goes down to a base level and we are just children at his feet. We, and we're learners under discipline when we're around Jesus, in the real presence of Jesus. So I just encourage you, humble yourself, let's grow together and find out who the person of Jesus is and what our life looks like when we make it truly Jesus first, Jesus always. This is week one and I'm gonna talk about a subject called Who Am I? It's based on chapter one, who am I? Father, thank you for your presence and your goodness. Every person that's here today, Holy Spirit, we continue to invite you to move. Just the presence of the Lord is here right now, God. We sense the anointing all around us moving for healing, Lord, for deliverance. 
uh, for freedom, for, for, for mending of brokenness and relationships and people's emotions. Lord, there's a spirit of power in this room, God, of confidence in this room, of faith in this room. Let it stir up in our hearts. Lord, let us take it into our hearts and, and take it out with us and live from a place of power uh, this week based on the power that comes from the name of Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit that is with us through everything we do. Help me to communicate this message in a way that honors you and lifts up heaven and lifts up the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. So this book, as I said, was written over a period of years, but I would say the impetus for this book came from a season of my life that was one of the toughest seasons. When I became uh, the, the senior pastor of this church with my wife, uh, I went through something right off the bat. I mean, it was just like, boom, 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 a bunch of stuff hit at, 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 at once, and I didn't know how to deal with some of it. Uh, I know that one of the first things that happened is one of my best friends, Dave, David Caps, who was a pastor here on our staff, uh, he, I had raised him up. I had poured into his life, trained him up in ministry. He was my assistant. He took over as the youth pastor. I taught him how to edit video, how to play music, how to write songs. He was, he was going to be my guy. We talked openly about him being my right-hand guy, helping me in ministry when I go to the next level and all this stuff. I had just taught a message called The Life You Were Meant to Live. And right after I taught that message, Dave found out that he had a rare form of cancer that only five people in history had ever been diagnosed with, and none of them had successfully overcame this kind of cancer. So this is the call that I get after my message that I had taught, the life you were meant to live. And so Dave comes to me and he says, Pastor Jeff, he, he was always extremely respectful toward me, and even though we were, had a great time together, laughed together, and it's just a great friendship, he said, Pastor Jeff, I... I genuinely want to know the answer to this. If you can help me figure it out, I would appreciate it. He said, but how am I supposed to live the life that I was meant to live if I know that I'm dying? So rather than come up with some, you know, generic answer or try to just quote a scripture that just didn't feel like it fit at that moment, I said, I actually don't know. I said, I honestly don't know. I said, but I promise you, me and you, if you'll let me walk through some of it with you, we'll figure that out together. Uh, and, and, and we did. So what happened is Dave had a, a, a recorder, and he would journal through his chemo treatments. He would journal through uh, just his days of, of struggling, of not feeling good, his highs and his lows. And listening to some of those recordings is some of the most difficult stuff I've ever had to do in my entire life. He, asking questions about, did I bring this on myself? What sin did I do that caused this? Why do some people get healed and, and not me? And, and, and what if I were to just renounce God and, and say, God, you're not there. Something in me tells me I would be healed, but I can't do that. I don't want to do that because, God, I know you're real, and I'm learning to trust you. And toward the end of his life, through these communications, I watched him go on a journey of, of struggling with his faith toward the end of his life to being stronger in his faith than anyone I've ever seen because he knew that Jesus was the only option that he had. And I started discovering through this project, we were writing a book together, we were going to write this together, and I started discovering through this journey that you can actually live the life you were meant to live, even when everything is not perfect in your life. You can live the life you were meant to live when you're in the middle of tragedy. You can live, and see, something that had bothered me about a lot of the messages I heard is some of the messages I heard about 
God and success and things like that in life sort of inferred that if you have all these things in your life and you've got a bank account with a certain amount of money in it or drive a certain kind of car, then you have figured out what the favor of God looks like. But that's confusing to me because I've been in nations before where people live in garbage dumps but love Jesus. So my question is, is if it preaches well in Boston, then how come it doesn't preach that way in Bangladesh? So to me personally... I wanted to write a book that presents what destiny actually looks like through the lens of the person of Jesus. Not what it gives you in life, not what, where it takes you if you follow all the rules and your promotions and things like this. I, I'm not against favor or blessing or anything. I think that is wonderful, but I'm just saying there's something underneath all of that that's way more important. Because anybody can get a call at any time that changes anything in your life. And if you don't believe that Jesus can be your everything in those tough times, then why should you believe he's there when you're on the mountaintops of your life? That's what this book, I'm trying to just, this is not in my notes. I'm just trying to be vulnerable here and tell you why I wrote the book and why I want to take this journey with you uh, called Jesus First, Jesus Always. And I want my life to change uh, through this as well. It's changed while writing it. And uh, I'm hoping I get a new revelation of who he is uh, even as I teach this today. So week one. Who am I? He asks this poignant question to his disciples. He's asking it to you. He's asking it to I. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite books ever, is called Knowledge of the Holy. And A.W. Tozer, in Knowledge of the Holy, has a line that just has always just kind of haunted me a little bit uh, to make sure that I remember uh, the answer to this question. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds... When we think about God is the most important thing about us. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I really believe that if we were to look at what's going on in the world, why there are problems with the world, our belief, it's what we really believe about God. When we try to take over and we try to take control and we try to change culture and make everything the way we want it to be and our hands are constantly in everything, we're kind of showing what we believe about God. We don't believe that God is able through our prayers to be just and do what he wants to do. We feel like we have to make it happen. When we are people that are constantly moaning and groaning about all our difficulties and problems and, and constantly living in fear that we're going to die tomorrow, we're pretty much showing what we believe about God. We don't believe God is faithful to take care of us if we're just faithful to serve him the way he's called us to. So what he's trying to say is what we believe about God is the most important thing about us because it ends up dictating the way we live our lives. So I would tweak that just a little bit for our message today since the series is called Jesus First, Jesus Always. And I would say what we believe about Jesus, it, what comes to our minds when we hear the name Jesus is the most important thing about us. Now the distinction I'll make, it's not like, oh, are you saying that Jesus is not God? No, Jesus is definitely God. But I believe in the world that we live in, a lot of people are able to have conversations about God uh, without offending anyone. A lot of people are able to have conversations about God, and it's kind of open-ended is what that means to a specific individual. To me, God is the sunrise. To me, God is you know, the love that you feel when you look in that special someone's eyes for the first time, and the wind is blowing on your face, and you're taking a long walk on the beach. I don't know, whatever it is that people write on their Facebook profiles about long walks on the beach and stuff like that. God is this, God is that, God is, you know, pasta, I don't know, God is, is, is this kind of music. And everyone has these ideas of what God is, but what comes to our mind when we think about the person that is Jesus, 
That's the most important thing about us. And I, I want to I prove that and, and, and kind of flesh that out today. Why? Because Jesus said some things about himself that cannot be ignored. And I think many times we do ignore some of the things that Jesus said about himself. For instance, when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. Sometimes I, I think we may believe in Jesus, but I don't know if we believe that. We live our lives as if he is not the way, but he is a way. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to Orlando from here, you can go a lot of ways. Isn't that true? You could go, if you wanted to, you could turn right. You could go down toward uh, Narcusi. You could go that back way down toward Lake Nona and hop on the road out there and go to a certain part of Orlando. That might be a circuitous way to get there. You could go down... Uh, you could go down 192, you could turn right on John Young Parkway, you could go all the way down John Young Parkway and eventually hit I-4, you could go up, you could get on uh, the Turnpike and you could go south, how many people go to the Turnpike, even though the E-Pass be charging us all that extra money right now, <laughs> they act like we're on there 10 times a day where we only go once, somebody got to work that out now, <laughs> but you go the Turnpike, so there's a lot of ways, <laughs> that ain't the way to heaven y'all. Jesus said, I am the way. It's like, it's like a remote place that there is literally only one road to get there. And Jesus says, I am the way. I don't think we live our lives many times in our belief system like Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is not a truth. He is the truth. You say, well, what do you even mean by a truth? Well, it's like people say, oh, well, that's my truth. You ever heard someone say that? That's my truth. What in the world does that mean? Well, I believe that two plus two is five. Well, you can't add. It's not a truth. You just don't know math. It's just not true. That's not true at all. Nothing about that is true. It's broken. And, and when people start talking about my truth, they think it sounds deep, but I don't think you realize that's not deep at all. From a biblical standpoint, there's no such thing as your truth. There is only the truth of who Jesus actually is. And if you want to know who he is, you have to listen to him. Because I feel like many times we put Jesus in the same category as a lot of great thought leaders throughout history. Whether it be, you know, Buddha or, or Gandhi or all these peaceful, wonderful people that have said great things that we like to quote. And Jesus says, oh, never judge anyone. Oh, always love your neighbor. And you try to put him in that category. But what I think you fail to realize is when Jesus made the kind of objective claims about his own deity that he did. Things like, I am the way, the truth, the life. Things like, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When you say something like that, that I am the light of the world, he, you are either the light of the world and you are either the Messiah or you are the worst person that ever lived. If Jesus is not who he says he is, if he did not rise from that grave, if he did not come as God and redeem mankind through the, the sacrifice of his own blood, he is not a good teacher. I got news for you. He's not a good teacher. He is, as C.S. Lewis said, he is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. There's no room to make him a good teacher. 
There's no space, there's no rational space to make him a good teacher. Unless you're able to try to find some redeeming qualities about the worst people that have ever lived. Said, oh yeah, he did all these terrible things, but he did this one thing good. We don't really do that. Jesus is either who he said he is, or he's a fake, he's a liar. And he's not, he's Lord. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He said this about himself in Revelation. I love that. Alpha, it's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, that's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. That means he's also B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, or A, B, C, D, C, E, F, G, H, I, J, I, J, K, L, E, E, M, N, O, P, Q, R, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, K, Z. Todos los letters. I don't know how to say letters. Letras? Letras? See? Letras. That's right. Letras. <laughs> Mommy, what is that white guy doing? <laughs> I love that. Alpha and Omega, the A through the Z, it all, it's, uh, the beginning of life, the end of life. I got news for you, homie. If he's the beginning and if he's the end, he better darn well be everything in between because that's what he's trying to get at is when you get the revelation of who he is, who he actually is, not the Jesus that you put on your Facebook page. Not the Jesus that you wear on your WWJD bracelet or your J1JA bracelet that comes out in about three weeks. Twelve ninety nine. Here we go. No, I actually don't know how much it is. I, I know it's cool looking though. But seriously, I, I, there, there's, there's a part at the end of the book the audio book where I said, don't use this hashtag. Don't, I think, I think I did. I'm trying to think if it made it on there or not. Maybe I didn't, maybe I, I'm not sure if it got taken out or not, so I don't want you to quote me on this, but I know I almost said it. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, to, don't use Jesus first, Jesus always, as a hashtag. Don't wear that bracelet. Don't wear the dope-looking denim jean jacket with the, with the icon logo on the back. Don't do it. Until you have weighed out what it means. I've told you before, you've heard me preach on it. What am I about to say? Don't wear a cross on your neck until it's painful to look at. Until you realize that this is the instrument of death that caused our Savior to lose his life for my salvation. This is a place of execution. So what I'm saying is that Jesus first, getting the perspective of who Jesus actually is, is so much more than these catchphrases that we throw around. It, it hurts. It's messy. Pastor Amy was talking about the anointing today. I love, I love that idea of, of stop and smell the anointing. That's that's. I love that. That's, there's nothing corny about that. There's nothing cheesy about that. It's beautiful. The reason I love that is when Samuel anointed David, when you read about it, it says that the anointing went from his head and it ran down his beard. If you got a nice shirt on, you're finished on that day because the anointing is a thick oil and it's messy and it gets all over you. 
this revelation of who Jesus is starts on your head and it runs down your body and touches everywhere on your body. It's messy. It's not pretty. It's not a little dot on your forehead that someone puts on there in a service like we do on New Year's. That's all we can get away with. The anointing covers everything you are. The revelation of who Jesus is covers everything you do in your life. So what am I doing here today? I'm trying to push you. I'm trying to challenge you. What you think you know of who Jesus is may be scratching the surface of, of how he wants you to know him. There's a further place we can go when we take him at his word for who he is. When we talk about my truth, okay, for instance, when we talk about my truth, instead of empirical truth, the truth of who Jesus is, objective truth the way he claims, we talk about subjective truth, whatever we want it to be. I'm talking about the actual objective truth of who Jesus says he is. It reminds me of an old theory of vision. So in the old days, I'm talking like a thousand years ago, people believed in something called the emission theory when it comes to vision. So what they actually believed is that light, when we perceive an object, if I'm looking and I see a vase sitting on a table, that the way I'm able to see that object, this is the way people thought the human eye worked back then in, in very crude kind of scientific analysis. They thought what happens is that we have tiny little bits of light that come out of our eyes and, and start within our eyes and go out of our eyes and hit the object and then it bounces back into our eyes. And because the light that comes from our eyes bounces light off of that object and back into our eyes, we're able to perceive what is there. I would sort of compare this to way, the way our culture talks about my truth or subjective truth. That you have your version of the truth, my version of the truth. We think that we have some ability to project truth and light from our own eyes. And when we see it reflected back, what comes from us, we don't realize we're in a vacuum chamber created by our own ignorance. But Jesus does not, does not want us to live our lives in that way. We later came to find through science that that's not true. But in fact, the intromission theory that we now agree upon scientifically is that Light comes from external sources. We don't have the ability, even though I love Superman, we don't have the ability to emanate light from our eyes. In fact, light comes from the sun. It comes from these lights that are in this room or a candle or whatever, and the light that comes from that object bounces off the other object and into our eyes. See, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The only way to perceive actual truth is when it starts with Jesus, reflects off a relationship, comes back to our eyes, starts with Jesus, reflects off a body that has cancer in it, reflects back into our eyes, starts with Jesus, reflects off a broken culture that's desperately thinking it can find its religion and social justice and every other thing in the world. I'm all for justice. I'm all for social justice when it's done out of the right heart. But I'm going to tell you, we cannot find our religion and our purpose in our meaning in anything in this world outside of the person that is Jesus. He is the only answer for this world. I want hope. I want reconciliation. But I'm going to tell you something. We are going to fall short every single time in every single endeavor unless the ultimate answer to whatever question we're asking is Jesus. He has to be the answer. He is the light of the world. And that revelation starts with Jesus. It reflects off the world and it comes back into our eyes. That is, that's the intromission theory, and that's really the way we have to start living our lives. Please answer your phone. Thank you. <laughs> Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Who do you say he is? Because what we're talking about, seeing things the way they're meant to be seen, that's, that's what happens when you get a revelation of who he really is. I told you it's ugly. 
I told you it hurts. If your relationship with God doesn't hurt sometimes, you might not be doing it right. If it doesn't, if it doesn't, if it doesn't challenge you every time you open the Bible, if it doesn't offend you when you start reading the Bible, if it doesn't push back on the decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis, you're not doing it right. Because I promise God wants you to feel uncomfortable. He wants you to be challenged every single day. There's a way of viewing the world that is the right way, but it's a challenging way. So it reminds me of when I was 17, I never wore glasses until the time I was 17 years old. So, I mean, I used to just live my life, like I'm looking out here right now, I can see bodies all over the place. I can see these super freaky, like slender man looking faces, like scary blobs of faces. Like I, I can't really see people. I, if, I, if I squint, I can sort of figure out who you are and definitely by your body language and stuff. Or if you talked, I, could, I would know who it is. But I can't see specific people. Because I just I'm I'm nearsighted. I can only see things that are near to me, and uh, my mom took me to Lens Crafters. It's 1989, and my mom says, "Jeff, I'm taking you to an optometrist appointment." So I go to the optometrist, and first of all, they say, "Okay, what do you see on the on this wall? Read, read us what you say." I was like, "Okay, that's a cow. That's a star." They're like, "These are letters." I'm like, "That's a four. That's a three. They're like, "They're letters." I'm like, "Okay, is it an A?" They're like, "Okay, f- stop, stop." So like he flips down, he flips down a like a piece of glass in front of one. I'm like, "Oh, that kind of looks like a, an X." He's like, "Good, good, good. Read the next one." I'm like, "That's a D." And he's like, eh, "No, that's not good." He's like, so he flips down another. One. Finally, he he gets one, and I'm able to see these things correctly. So he makes me these glasses. I never knew I needed glasses. Makes me these glasses. I'm only concerned about what they look like because I wanted to look sophisticated so I could date seniors in my school at the time. But, uh, like, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm glad I ended up running into you, though, because uh, you're better than all of them. Uh, so that's cold. Is that cold? Okay, I agree. That's cold. She's the best thing that ever happened to me for sure. So, so I end up getting these glasses. I'm on my way home, and my mom says, Jeffrey, why don't you put your glasses on? I said, ah, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not that excited. She said, just put them on, just see what, what you think. So I put on my glasses, all of a sudden, I just have like this emotional reaction. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can see leaves, mom. Those are real leaves. She's like, I know, and they're like, I see the grass. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm crying. I'm like, mom, and then at nighttime, I look up at a street light, and it did not have like a 20-foot orb around it like I always thought. You can actually see the, the actual light. Uh, I could see people's faces in the movies. It was unbelievable. What an experience of seeing the world as it's meant to be seen. See, I believe that when God made us, the book of Romans tells us that there is a couple things in us that are evidences or residue of the God that made us. One is our conscience. We're able through our conscience to have some of the leftovers of, of who God is in us and what is supposed to be in us, we can know right from wrong. I believe the person of the Holy Spirit helps us to understand. The Bible talks about some people sear their conscience and they just go against it so much that they, they end up losing it. But we initially do have it. Also, the reverence we have for creation, Romans says, that, that even an atheist who someone claims to be an atheist, no one is able to look at creation and not know within their heart. Romans tells us that it's made by God. So in our heart, we look around, we go, wow. So I believe that's a form of vision. Maybe it's kind of like the way I'm seeing right now without my glasses. We can get through our lives, maybe know the difference between right and wrong. We can see some things. But until we get a revelation of who Jesus actually is, our life is always going to be blurry. 
where we go, we're only going to be limited in what we're able to do. But I believe that there is a revelation when we take Jesus at his word for who he is. I believe it's like putting glasses on for the first time. And when you put those glasses on, you go, it's A, D, C, J, B. I can read the whole top line. Now I know what my marriage is supposed to look like. Now I know what my relationships are supposed to look like. Now I know what my purpose is supposed to look like. Now when I know what destiny looks like because I see it through the lens, that is Jesus. It's Jesus. And you know... If I were wearing the same prescription that they gave me when I was 17, even with these glasses on, my vision would still be blurry. Why? Because as a human being, my vision deteriorates. What my abilities deteriorate as I get older. It's just how, it's how life works. So I have to continually go back to that optometrist. And that optometrist has got to do a checkup on me. And I've got to look at those letters. And I've got to say, well, I, I can't see this and I can't see this. And what does he do? He turns up the prescription. You need some more Jesus in your life. He turns the prescription up a little bit. And what he does is he gives me a brand new pair of glasses. And I go, my goodness, I forgot how good it felt to see the world the way it was meant to be seen. And every day your vision has to be continually readjusted by seeing the world through Jesus' lens. Who needs more of Jesus in your life today? Boy, I know I do. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul said, I die daily. What does it mean? It means every day I get up, no matter what great revelation I had of Jesus yesterday, I need one today. Because if I, if I don't, if I put on the old prescription, I'm going to be able to see, but not with the clarity God intended for me to see with. That's what Jesus first looks like. It's every day readjusting your life and answering that question that he is asking us so personally. I'm not going to say it because I'm going to wait to the last line to say that question one more time. So who is he to you? Who is he really to you? Maybe you're just investigating him today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've known him for a while. I think we've gone over who he said he is. I think there's a lot of power and weight in that. Light of the world, Alpha and Omega, beginning of the end, the way, the truth, the life. The woman at the well that was talking to him tried to put him in his place. She said, yeah, I'm going to let you know something. The Messiah is coming someday, and he's going to set everything right. And Jesus was like, yeah, that's me. That's cold right there. You want to talk about something that's cold? That's cold. When he just says, that's me, he was not shy in any way about claiming who he was. So I think you can tell who someone is by what they say about themselves, I also think you can tell a lot about who someone is by what they love. So for my book, I was talking to my family. I was like, Zoe, what does daddy love? She's like, football. I was like, no Jesus, no God, just football. Okay, I'm, I'm a real deep person. I was like, Jude, what does daddy love? He's like, football. I was like, I quit. I, I'm not interviewing anyone else. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, need to, <laughs> I need to have a deeper life in Christ. <laughs> Because apparently this is what everyone thinks. But you know, the truth is, I think you can tell a lot about someone by what that answer is. I, I wish that answer was Jesus. I want people to know. I, and, and you know what? And, and I think in many areas of my life, I have to keep working to make sure that Jesus is my first love. And that people can see that in everything that I do. Because I know that a lot of things 
get higher on the list. And I let things drift up that list. I don't care what's written on my profile. I let things drift up to that spot. I don't care what the name of my book is. I got to push those things down every day just like you. Why? So that Jesus can rise to that top spot in my life. I want him to carry the premium position in my life. I want to be the one that loves so much that people can tell who I am because of what I love. And what I love is I love Jesus. I want Jesus to be that primary thing in my life that I love more than anything. And I think we can tell a lot about Jesus by what he loved. What did he love? He lived his whole life for people. For God so loved the world. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for a brother. This is a new commandment I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. He was all about love. This is so cool. I mean, the disciple and the apostle John, who hung out with Jesus personally, do you know what, how he referred to himself in his own writings? John wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote the, wrote the book of John. Do you know when he was writing about himself? Do you know what he wrote? He didn't write John. It's so funny to me what he wrote. He always wrote, the disciple who Jesus loved. Isn't that great? I think you're like, well, he's so arrogant. No, 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 I don't think it's that. I think what John, and, and I don't think it was like a formal thing. I don't think that he was like, yo, disciples, we've got to have a meeting. I've decided to change my name. I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's like that. That, you know, Jesus, that the disciples are talking with each other. They're like, yo, man, where's, where's Peter and Nathaniel? Oh, they're with the disciple that Jesus loved. I don't think it's like that. I think, what, I think what John did is after seeing the selflessness of Jesus, after watching Jesus give his life for the world, when he's writing about this whole thing, he said, I've come to the conclusion. I think this is what John said in his own mind. He said, I've come to the conclusion and, I, and John wrote, for God so loved the world. I think that what he was saying is, yeah, he loved the world. He loved humanity. But I can come up with no other answer when I look at how sinful I am, when I look at how little I deserve this kind of love, I can come up with no other answer that Jesus loves me the most of anyone that has ever lived. And you know what? When you put those glasses on and you really get that revelation of who Jesus is, no matter how insecure you've ever felt in your life, no matter how worthless you've ever felt in your life, no matter how broken or overlooked you've ever felt in your life, the moment you put on those glasses and you see Jesus for who he really is, you go, I'm the one that he loves. I'm the one that he loves more than anybody. It's not that anyone else is inferior to you. It's just he's so much greater than anything we can imagine. You go, I get it. I get it. He really, really loves me more than anything in this world. That is what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus first really looks like. It's, it, it starts before we can even get to the concept of Jesus first, which we'll dive into next week. We have to have this idea and understanding of who he claims to be. And do we even believe in that person? So I will close with this idea, you know, are you living in your truth today? Are you living in your truth? Or are you living in the truth today? Are you living based on the truth that comes from your eyes and reflects back into your world in that, that dangerous vacuum, just an echo chamber? Or, or are you living in the truth that comes when we let Jesus reflect off everything and seeing the world through the lens of who Jesus is? claims to be and he is. I've heard it said before that how you live is more important than what you believe. How you live is more important than what you believe. I think that's a pretty 
intense statement. I think someone said that. I think that's a pretty strong statement. I think a way to improve it would be to say this. How you live is the greatest indicator of what you believe. How you live is the greatest indicator of what you believe. You're already showing the world what you believe by the way you live your life. So I'll end our message today, part one of our series, with this question to you. Matthew 16, 15. Here's the question. It's not from me. It's from Jesus. And I'm going to read it to you. What about you? That's the question. What about you? Who do you say I am? We hope you enjoyed this teaching by Pastor Jeffrey Smith. You can be a part of what God is doing here at City of Life by clicking give at www.col.tv or by texting a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. Thanks for joining us.